And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know. So you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle's revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine cri- refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And guys, I promised you an amazing grass this week and uh, I was lucky I got two and you are not going to believe they are beautiful writers who can steal your heart within five words and then tear it out in the next two you are not going to want to miss these writers so without further ado and fingers crossed I do not butcher any names here please welcome Liz and Kate Carr did I get that right? Yes yes Hi, Crystal. Lovely to be here. Thanks. I always panic at the end. I'm like, ooh, I've got to pronounce a name. <laughs> that's, that's my weak spot. So you guys have two books that we're talking about today. One is for a trilogy that's been out since 2020. And the other one is one that's just come out this past August. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about A Throne of Swans, which is the first part of a duology that came out uh, 2020 and 2021 with Hotkey. And our most recent book, um, Daughter Darkness, which is also the first part of a new duology, also with Hotkey. Okay, so why don't we start with The Swans, and you guys can tell me a little bit about that, maybe? Sure. Um... So A Throne of Swans, uh, the second book is called A Crown of Talons. It's um, loosely inspired by Swan Lake. So it's an epic fantasy. It's set in a world, a kingdom where 
the nobles who rule it can change into um, birds that represent their ancestral bloodlines. So there are swans and um, uh, eagles and all sorts of different birds. And they rule over the rest of the population because they can burn them with a single touch um, because they've got this magic thing flowing underneath their skin. And it's got a little bit of Hamlet in it. So um, our, the heroine is Adarin, who is a noble herself, but she's not been able to transform into a swan since uh, she witnessed the brutal murder of her mother. So when her father finally dies, she goes off to the court of her uncle, the king, to try and find out the truth about who killed her mother and why. Um, and she uncovers all these evil plots when she gets there and ends up being in great danger um, and having to make some really tough decisions along the way in order to try and save the kingdom and herself. I love that because I am a personal fan of ballet. Um, because before I did all this, I used to dance and then I ended up in writing. So I love it. And there's so much I think you can get from Swan Lake as well. There's just like this endless amount of everybody who watches it comes away with sort of a very different feeling or a very different impression that it's made on them. Mm. My husband's version was snoring. He fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> Shame. So, bless him. He, yep. And he, bless him, he, was, he went there um, and it was tickets for my Christmas and his knees were literally touching his nose. And then I just heard about halfway through, just before intermission, all I heard was this very light snoring. And I looked to my right and there he is asleep. Um, so yeah, he didn't, he, he got the beauty of it. I think it was the long pauses between sections mm -hmm. that just killed him. He just fell asleep with that. Um, but yeah, it's one of my favorites. And Hamlet is my best friend's favorite. She's a Shakespeare mega fan. Um, so yeah, I, I think this one is definitely one for me and her because I'll actually get her to read it. So what inspired you? What was like the motivation for this one? What was it that made you go, aha, we've got to write this? I think it was actually Catherine's daughter who she was of ballet. Used to do ballet regularly at school and she was a massive fan and I think yeah, she loves Swan Lake story, and I think she, mm. that's right, she suggested it to you, didn't she, initially? She did, and then we were playing around with it, and we realised we wanted to, to think about the point of view of the villain, so um, Adarin, um, it was originally called, we had, our editor suggested we change it because it was too similar, but she was originally called Adette, no, she was originally yeah. called Adil, and there's a her cousin yeah. in there was called Adette, um, and Adarin's father is Rothbart, um, so we were writing it from the point of view of why, you know, why are these people sort of angry with uh, Adet and Siegfried and the other guys in the palace? So that's what that's the kind of direction we took, um, trying to think of the villain yeah, story. Kind of looking at the villain, weren't we? Mm. We were looking at the villain and trying to think, well, why, why, why did she end up? In as the villain, did she have some story which wasn't told in Swan Lake and some sort of backstory mm. which, you know, led her down the path that she went? Um, and yeah, it's, yeah. From there. it's 
it's very unique. It's in a way because a lot of people they don't like to kind of go into that area. Almost of the villains because they're like, you know, it's so much easier to write the good guys. It's so much easier to fall in love and write with the villain. You know, mm. having the villain as an outside force rather than a force that's impeding upon a story. I think mm -hmm. that makes yours uh, unique because I think a lot of the retellings that we're seeing is from is either taking it and making it extremely different or taking it and trying to make it a more modern hero worship style. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's nice to see a sort of villainish kind of take on it for a change. And I think it would make it really thrilling for a teenager to read something like that as well. Because it's almost like a ooh, ooh, kind of feel that comes off of like, the way you were describing it and the core and the, and the pressures of all the responsibilities that she's going to feel from seeing her own mother die. Yes, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, that, it, that, the, it, we wanted to think about the impact of this, that trauma, kind of trauma when you were young and how you would carry that through and also how that, how it would shape you. And then what are you going to do when you find out, yes, she does, that the answers you were looking for just lead you into a whole other kind of realm of yeah. awfulness. Yeah. <laughs> Questions. And I think there's almost a sort of like a, you know, a catch to that as well. Like a catch where she's like, I have to do this. I have to find a way to to make this right and find out why this happened. So I think that's a really good thing. And it's very much encouraging justice and what, how justice is different for all of us. In, in every story, justice has a there is some sort of form of justice but it's how that justice i think is found and i think you guys have done an incredible job of setting that up so that it's your your ultimate i've got to read to the end to see how this turns out yeah hopefully <laughs> so what about your second novel what was it that you can you tell me a little bit about that and what made you want to to write that what made you excited to write that I think the Jewels of Darkness, I think I had an initial idea about it as a sort of, sort of a kind of pro medieval period or generic medieval period and it was um, about this, these people who have this ability to go into the underworld and bring back souls oh. um, and I think I would thank Catherine's daughters for their inspiration on this but because the, the elder one was studying classic university and and, and she said, I really like the storyline, but why don't you set it in ancient Greece? So this is set in in, in ancient Greece, sort of for 700 years or so before. It's actually, the, it's actually earlier, than, it's the Bronze Age. So we we, we thinking about the, what, when we realized, decided we wanted to go for a classical mythological take on it, um, the obvious storyline was, I mean, there are loads of people in, in classical mythology who travel back to the underworld, but we were thinking so I think particularly about the Orpheus and Eurydice story. Um, but we also were really interested, or slash I more than Lizzie, are really interested in, in the um, the Bronze Age, the Bronze Age collapse. You know, what happened to all those cities like Mycenae and um, uh, I can't think of any of the other ones, but uh, the ones that were um, 
the inhabited by the heroes from the from the Odyssey and the Iliad and places like that whose names all escape me at the moment because I'm terrible with names. Um, but I'm the same. Was, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> like what are the cities that they lived in? Um, so we were um, thinking about how could we combine you know, that kind of really ancient history um, with um, this story of Orpheus and Eurydice um, and Lizzie's idea of people who could travel back back and forth between life and death. Um, and I think that's, we've again decided to think about it, we kind of switch up who was the hero and who was the villain in the story and we created because of this going down this kind of alternative history route the, <clears throat> the idea being that the Bronze Age kingdoms like Mycenae hadn't collapsed because they'd made a deal with the gods um, so we were able to create this whole sort of structure around these people who were marked by the gods as a form you know, to prove their existence and who had to work for the gods and um, work for their cities um, without any real choice in the matter, until they could, unless they could earn their way out of it. So that's where, where our, um, our heroes came from. So they are soul severers who are, are supposed to go go and help people pass on to the underworld, but they can also bring people back. And yeah. they get given the job of bringing Eurydice back. Um, so they end up, and if they can do really this... To bring people back. They don't really bring people back on a, on a regular basis. They can, no, so but they can. They, they, um, what they're supposed to do is help souls cross over into to the underworld and occasionally they carry out some sort of punishment on people who have committed some sort of hideous crime and then they will kind of lock them in this in-between kind of land for the threshold. Um, yeah, and so they... There's, they, 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 there's, there's different sort of dominion depending on the, the god, the, the followers of Poseidon, Hades, Zeus, and the one um, can't say. The starting point of the story is they get offered their freedom if they can go and get Eurydice back from the underworld. Um, oh, okay. And I so love the fact the Yeah, and I love the fact this is a very different take on Greek mythology, and I think hmm. mythology is kind of having this resurgence um you know that we're starting to see more people wanting that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and i think that's that's happened with the success of the viking series you know you're seeing it kind of there's lots of different things that's kicked it off and i think that's it, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. awesome how did you guys find researching that though um we've both got classics as a background yeah so we had, you know, Lizzie has, we, did, we both did, as Lizzie said, we both did classics at A-level. I did Latin and Greek. Um, so we went back to some original sources. We looked at, looked at the Odyssey. There's a book in the Odyssey where Odysseus goes into the underworld. We looked at the Aeneid, because um, the same Aeneid ends up in the underworld. Um, we looked at books on, um, I've got some on my shelf up there. There's a book on Thebes. Um, books on the Aegean Bronze Age. Uh, so we wanted to try and pick up as much of the um, factual kind of what, you know, what people have discovered from archaeology, because obviously there's no real written records in that period. There's like linear B no, stuff, which, yeah. you know, but that's not much else. Um, and then combine that with, with um, stories from classical mythology about the underworld and different myths. 
And I think that's one of the nice things about that period is that it hasn't been so, so well documented. So mm-hmm. we're able to take quite a degree of sort of license and with what we choose to be put in there. And then I have to have a bit of a kind of tune thrown ahead as to whether we should put some sort of currency and sort of money in terms of coins in there and whether they would have had anything like that. And we sort of just think we can, we can afford to just sort of be a bit more kind of economical with the truth. Yeah. Nobody really knows what you know, was going well, on it, in that period. Because we're treating it as an alternative history, like, you know, we're assuming that if these cities hadn't collapsed, they would have developed currency earlier and they would have developed um, a different kind yeah. of alphabet more early and um, bigger ships. No, I, th- I think that's really good because I think that's a question we've, you know, anybody who's loved history, who's really been invested in history, I think we all want to know what is it that would have happened if these cities had survived, if if they maybe had planted them just out of range or a little bit more up the shore or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's a question a lot of people have. And I think back in those times, we're seeing some of the best building, sort of lasting mm-hmm. buildings and mm-hmm. road systems and sewer systems that we ever saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's having that sort of level of fact and background is so beneficial for the writing, but it also gives you, you know, because you're saying, hey, it's 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 our take on history, so we have quite a bit of leeway on yeah. what we can do here. Yeah. You know, if we want to have a real god come down, not saying we did, but if you know, if we want to have a real god just strolling down the street, we can have a real god strolling yeah. down the street. <laughs> it, it's that kind of freedom of an enjoyment of being able to have looser reins i suppose than uh, yeah. than period pieces and it's it's yeah. funny that you know you were talking about classics i grew up on Catherine cookson so when i meet other people who've sort of gone and experimented with right other sort of works other pieces of work i, I always find it really interesting because it's it's names like her that's kind of made a huge difference to this industry Mm-hmm. and I think she has kind of disappeared she's slowly sort of ebbing out and I, I hope she's never forgotten but I think she's one of those ones that I think we should almost immortalize mm-hmm. in British literature because I think she played a huge part in bringing up a lot of the the inequalities that we have here mm-hmm. and you know she talked about racism way back before racism was something that was discussed you know she talked about women's equality and things like that have you two had a chance to read her or i haven't but i do remember that our, our nana was a real she had was had, was a fan of Catherine cooks and she had, had some on her bookshelf she didn't have a lot of books because she didn't have a lot she didn't have a lot of money but she um yeah. read Catherine cooks and i remember her getting them from the library as well so I think also from, you know, if you do get a chance to read her, she, she is about middle class. It's the middle class point of view, because for a lot of the time that particularly she was writing, it was about either the poverty or it was high, or, you know, the upper class. There really wasn't, that middle class was invisible. 
and she took that as almost like a challenge and she mm -hmm. never she never went to school she had a you know an illness that they couldn't cure back then but we can now and you know she suffered with sort of bipolar disorder and dyslexia so in the end i think her writing was her only kind of escape from all that mm -hmm. and especially since she started out as a house servant mm -hmm. you could almost imagine cleaning somebody's house doing all that and then running up the stairs just to have that yes. you know 10 minutes to write uh mm -hmm. before you've run out of light you know it's so I, I i admire her for that and i think that's that's incredible um and you've made me excited about your book for sure because cool. uh i love mythology and i think that's because i grew up literally in mythology um mm -hmm. shetland if you ever get a chance to go it's viking mythology everywhere you turn now i'd love um, to go to my places to visit it is stunning. I would go up in the summer because it doesn't get dark ever. The sun doesn't set. And the magic that you will experience is incredible for a writer. Because it's like you've stepped into a whole other world. Mm -hmm. It's almost like one person described it to me as they felt like they walked into a fairy world because of all the colors and the scents and the smells and the animals that mm -hmm. would be out. Um, and, you know, my partner didn't believe me. He got up at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> stumbled stumbled through the, the house. I think he was going to get a drink. And then he's like, did I take two? And then his head popped around the door and he's like, uh, Crystal, yeah, the sun's still up. <laughs> and I went, yes dear that that happens here you know because this was him moving up here he'd never experienced it before so he texted his sister at two o'clock in the morning a picture of the sky saying i can't believe it's not dark here <laughs> so yeah but if you go up in the winter it is it's like pitch black very early and like you get like three hours of daylight and then it's just sheer darkness uh, which is really spooky. <laughs> yeah, it's really spooky. You could write a really good horror up there if you were in the frame of mind to do it because just walking around the streets and it's empty, there's almost that sense that something's watching you or creeping along behind you almost. Nine out of ten, it's a cat. Yeah. <laughs> you do have that little moment of, wait, I can hear something. I'm going to walk faster and hope it doesn't get me. So yeah, those are, those absolutely sound fantastic, and I cannot wait to include them in my uh, monthly review box that we do every month. Oh, and I definitely you. will be making a point reading those because they're fantastic. So let's um, move into sort of what you guys have been reading as readers, because we all know writers read a little bit differently than readers do. Mm -hmm. um, but we are all we all started as readers mm -hmm. and just ended up writing mostly because we always want to know how we do it. So what has been the book that you've read recently that you would say has stuck with you the most? I think for me, it was um, Holly Race's A Midnight Dark and Golden, which is the end of a trilogy um, that I read over the summer. Um, and it's Arthurian legend. It's an urban fantasy with Arthur combined with Arthurian legend 
uh, and it was the ending of the third book the final just was like jaw dropping I, I did not expect her to go there she did go there um yeah that was really there's the that always happens like you just think mm, it's not gonna go that way no it can't go that way and then smack it did and it did, it did yeah. go that way <laughs> yep yeah. I had that, I had that experience with the um, priority of the orange tree. Oh, priority! Yeah, priority. Yeah, yeah. And I was sort of reading through that, and I'm like, Nah, nah, it's not gonna go. Okay, it did. <laughs> had to then go downstairs and warn my mum. It's like because we decided <laughs> to have that as our our book that we read together. And I'm like, Yeah, mum. Mm, uh, mm, just be careful with that one. <laughs> what about you, Liz? What's, what have you read that stuck with you? Well, I, I was going to mention, I haven't got to the third one in the series, but I was going to mention Holly Race's Midnight Twins as well, which I really loved. Um, and I also really loved Sex Hogan series. Um, oh, right. Long Order, uh, Venom, Vul Venom Vulture, and. Oh gosh, it's, they're all these, aren't they? Venom. So there's a trilogy of books about sort of female pirate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's just such a feisty character. And, and then I love the setting, um, her being on the open seas and. Viper. Viper, yeah. Uh, and it's just a lot, you're very creative world building and the characters. Mm -hmm. and the, the love interest and I just think her writing is very sort of evocative and I really yeah, for me they have to get that world building just perfect mm -hmm. because if it slips for even a second they lose me and it's almost like I have to put it down walk away for a bit and then come back because I have to almost forget that it slipped for me so particularly if I'm reading fantasy um, but I've actually started to hear a lot more readers saying that, mm. which I was kind of surprised about. Who, who do you wish, if you had infinite time to sit and read and just enjoy what you're reading, what series and author would you read? Because you get a series and an author each. Oh, well, I would have um, Terry Pratchett and the Discworld novels, which, you know, there are so many of them, and I just think... You know, he's just created a whole new world every time you go into it. There's, you know, so many different stories and stories about Susan and death and stories about the Assassin's Guild or the Unseen University and the wizards or the witches. And I love the stories around Grandma, Granny Weatherwax and, and the, the three witches, Nanny Og and, uh, oh God, what's her name? Magrid. Um, Magrid. I just think. Yes, no, I, I, I just love it. I love his world building and his observation of human nature and how he, and how he turns everything on its head. Like he's got a story where Granny Weatherwax, her, her sister is basically the evil witch and she's a, she's, she's a fairy, she's a, she's a fairy godmother. But she's actually quite mean and sadistic and she's forcing people to have happy, happy artists they don't really want. And just so many little stories in that world I just I just I read everything he's written 
And what about an author? Who would you choose in regards to an author? Um, Terry Pratchett. Ah, see, you can't have the same author uh, for your series. <laughs> I, d I did actually put that in this time, so I was like, oh, I wonder she's not. If I, I did have a look at it, I do, I do remember now. Um, I would probably, I mean, I always say this, Susan Cooper. Oh, okay. Who, who used to write a lot, what, most in the 60s and 70s and 80s, children's books. Yeah. And she wrote the Darker Rising series, which I think is five books. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's based on Arthurian legends, and I just I reread re, I reread The Dark of Rising at least once a year, and it's yeah. my favourite sort of kind of Christmas read. And there's still passages in it that I always remember, just how the characters look at and, and speak to each other, and it's, it's sort of her writing sort of moved me and it sort of stuck with me. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I want to cover writing myself. Oh, okay. So, That's really cool. And for me, it was um, Celia Reese's The Old Witch. Because it was diaries. So you're literally following the story of this girl and her grandmother who's expect, you know, suspected of being witches. And her grandmother gives her life so she can escape. And we follow the journey entries until she hits America but sadly she lands in Salem so it's almost like she's been hiding these pages in this blanket that she's been making on her trip so yeah it, it, that one's a, a real heart in your throat kind of one mm -hmm. but it's really good if you're kind of like in that sort of Halloween November time when it's not quite Christmas but it's still not Quite Halloween. I thought. I thought. I was. Always thought that was a great one to have. What about you, Kate? Um, I think a series. I'd probably go for uh, the Bone Season because I'm not up to date with any of them. I've I read the first one and I loved it. And um, I've yeah. But and I've read half of the Fire of the Orange Tree. I haven't finished it yet. But I'm so far behind. Um, I've got so many books that I'm supposed to be reading. Um, got two or yeah. more books I'm supposed to be reading. So that series, I think. Um, and in terms of an author, I would go for Neil Gaiman because I think um, I love his stuff. And again, I think I, if I had an infinite amount of time, I would just like reread ones I've already read and read the ones that I haven't yet read. Um, I think I've read most of his stuff, to be honest. I think I can't think, I'm not sure there is anything I haven't read, but like the. Um, I mean, there's just so much, like the um, Sandman. I've got the um, the whole. Uh, I got that from my series. husband, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah and it's just there's just so detailed and rich. Um, so to have you know a time where I could just pause everything else and be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to sit down and read the entirety of Neil Gaiman's works again would be would be nice. He, he's an incredible writer for world building and for, yeah. I think using very different techniques of writing together, almost trying different forms to see what works. Mm. I, I kind of really respect him for that because when I read Stardust, I didn't understand it the first time, but when I was able to kind of piece it together the second time around, I got it. 
Mm. And I thought, mm, it's maybe just me. But it is because I, I was picking up on all the different forms and that was distracting me the whole way through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't necessarily getting the story. But yeah, he's he's an incredible writer. Um, I think he, he's got a lot left to do, I think. I mm. don't think we've seen the last of his huge no, no, stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure. Is there an author, past and present, who has influenced, inspired, and made you excited about books? And the challenge is, can you do all three? Can you pick three different people? Oh, three different people? Yeah. Um, this is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I'll go first. So I would say influenced, I would say Tolkien, because I love fantasy and... I think, you know, I had read fantasy as, as a younger kid, but like the Narnia books and um, Susan Cooper, but then I got into Tolkien as a teenager and that was like really um, amazing, you know, in terms of this, the breadth and depth of what he created. Um, yeah. So I would say that was influential. Inspiring, um, I think Jane Austen, because she is a queen and I love her books. Um, and, you know, she was writing at a point where obviously it was a struggle, right? She was, I, she hardly had any money at some point until her brother finally stumped, stumped up some cash and put them in a house. Um, yeah. She couldn't even put her name on her books initially. So I think that was, that's inspiring. And um, an author that, that made me excited, excited. about books, um, Mervyn Peake, I think. Um, I'm thinking of the Gormenghast trilogy in particular because it's just so weird and gothic and, you know, and, and I still remember, um, what's her name, Fuchsia, you know, did she jump or was she pushed? So <laughs> dying and the, um, the falling off the battlements and it's just like, oh. uh, and the whole way that he was, that's sort of real claustrophobic feel of that series, I think really, it's really stayed with me. Uh, so yeah, he, he is exciting. I think. What about you, Liz? Um, I think the influence probably you can't tell from what we write, but Isaac Asimov. I used to love Isaac Asimov. I used to really love science fiction as a child. Yeah. Um, and I still love. Catherine and I are both massive Star Trek fans, and we still <laughs> love all sort of things science fiction. But I used to just all over his stories and sort of the iRobot series and um, like he was a, a great sort of great visionary um, that's influenced oh, sorry what the other categories were inspired the next one inspired yep well I, get, I mean I've already said Susan Cooper but um, I also think um, yes no, that with the, all the you know when she was old, read all her stories as a child, and um, I already remember the Enchanted Castle, particularly in terms of the sort of writing that um, I wanted to do, very evocative and sort of haunting. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, what was the last category? And the last one is excited. What makes you excited Sorry. about books? Um, well, I do get very excited about YA books when they come out. Um, so I, I, I have to say, I always, I was very excited by Stephanie Mayer and all the Twilight series when they came out, and 
That's so is I. So yeah. is I. And I think she she feels falls in the kind of inspiration category as well because we were thinking about writing books and starting our own writing journey around the time that her, sort of the, the later Twilight books were coming out. Yeah. And I I know that a lot of YA is written it was written written for young adults, but a lot of people who are not young adults read YA. Yeah, um, that's a lot true. of older women and men as well, and I think it's I love YA. I think it's really aspirational, and I think a lot of people look at it and think, oh, "I wish I could have had that voice, and I wish I could have been that powerful, and I wish I could have been that teenager." And I think it kind of sort of unlocks a lot of yearning, and you wish you could go back and do your youth again, and it gives you an opportunity to do that. And I think yeah. I've always been very excited by YA writers, you know, particularly this. Twilight at the time because it really kind of obviously hit the note for a lot of people but I'm a big vampire fan as well so same same yeah yeah Lizzie's favourite film I, I oh sorry go ahead Lizzie's favourite film is The Lost Boys ah okay yeah my sister-in-law loves that movie I haven't been able to watch it because she scared the crap out of me for <laughs> telling me about it um, I totally chickened out, so I'll hold my hands up. But I actually found um, the Morganville series, the Morganville Vampire series, by Rachel Kane, was pretty epic. And it was such, it, it, she came out at such a time where there was that large amount of vampire stuff out there. So I think she kind of got lost in the shuffle. But she had a mad physics scientist who was also a, you know a vampire you had a town you couldn't leave if you knew that the town was run by vampires there was just so much to that series um i i think you would love it Liz. i think if you picked up if you picked it up you would be unable to stop until you read the whole lot yeah, I, it I is that much enjoyment right. yeah um have you read the new one for twilight or no, what the what sort of reimagining of Twilight? The Edward one. No, I haven't. I don't know why, but I just. I, I did. I did read it. It does not tie into the series quite as, as what I thought it would. No. It does give you a broader spectrum of what Edward was like, but I think I would have preferred her to have done a book on Jacob. Simply because I don't feel we got to really know Jacob. And I think we know quite a lot about the Collins and Edward. Mm -hmm. So I think I think that, that would have been a better better book in my opinion. But I did feel it was um I stupidly read it when I was I was stuck in hospital and my husband's like, Oh, this is a good book to give my wife who's stuck in ICU. Big hardback. <laughs> <laughs> No, but nice, nice try. Um, and I, I, I just devoured it because I couldn't sleep. Um, and yeah, I, I loved how she tried to make Edward more edgy yeah. and dangerous. Was the good words? Um, but yeah, I always say everyone. My opinions are my opinions. Read it yourself and see if you agree. Mm. Because. Yeah, I I bought it for the fact it was part of the Twilight series. You know that way where you yeah. buy it because it's part of the collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, 
I didn't yeah. think it could be improved upon. I just didn't think. No, I it couldn't really. Painted, I, would, I would be disappointed by it, so I'd just say for that. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely. I, and I Jacob, was. Yeah. So I, I would go for a Jacob story. I, I over, would go for a Jacob too. Yeah. yeah. And also a different story rather than just retelling of the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of thought there would be more to it than what there mm. was. Um, but did you know that there's going to be another book to the Priory of the Orange Tree? Yes. Yes. I have seen that. Are you are you excited? I am. Yes, I haven't finished the first one yet. I am as well. <laughs> I, to, I may, I, really I may send an email and be like, "Oh my god," because <laughs> um, I actually haven't met, other than yourself, anyone who liked it. So, oh okay. No, I've, I, had, I, I've had nobody to talk to about it, and I've been kind of like, <laughs> sitting in well, the corner. Yeah, I'll we'll let you know, and then I can be like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It. Oh no! It, it, it but it's good because this is the great thing about the book and life podcast is you you know you talk books and then you find other people that you can go oh I can talk to them because they've read yeah. it they get it yeah. and my best friend's like nine books behind me <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it for her. So yeah. when you two go to your you know for the casual walk through the bookshop or you accidentally end up on Amazon. What is it that you buy? Like, where is the genre that you automatically go to? Gosh, I I would say I have trouble pinning myself down. So I'm a bit kind of, oh, that looks good. That looks good. You know, all over the place in terms of yeah. what I read, which is why I'm so behind on everything, I guess, maybe. So Because I, I do love YA and I love adult fantasy, but I also love um, cozy crime and I enjoy history and I enjoy romance um, and historical fiction. So I'm a bit of a um, yeah, you... gun approach. <laughs> I just wonder to and see what catches my eye, to be honest. I, I'm a bit like, I, I love to try everything. Mm. So my house is very much like a library. My husband, we're actually moving soon. And he, he looked at me and he went, Oh, last time we did this crystal, there was 500 books, and I think I doubled it since then. <laughs> so he's almost there's almost like that sense of dread of, oh, how long are we going to spend boxing? Yeah, yeah. And my <laughs> husband is. is just, there's worse addictions in this world. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. No, he he will love himself to look at these because I I we run out of shut of space all, again, and I'm like jamming the books in. And then he looks at me and was like, "Yeah, you not just get rid of some of them." And I think, "No, we can't get rid of any of them because a half of them I haven't read, and b the ones I have read I don't want to get rid of." You know, it's just like, you know. you don't want to give them up, no, no. Like no. for me, it's like first. I have I've been lucky. I've got first editions, and I've got signed copies, and I've got arcs that's been sent to me from the publisher, and I'm like, I I can't get rid of those. Mm. Like I can't do it. But I do, I do a call every year because I do end up feeling guilty about the fact that my house is ninety percent bookshelves. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do, I do a call, but I, I donate it to the charity shops or I put mm -hmm. it into like we have a caravan um, park not too far away, 
so I'll give it to the women there and it'll go around the book mm -hmm. the book clubs there so I feel like in a way I'm I'm recycling almost yes yeah I mean, it's a good way I to think I think we all kind of feel that need to kind yeah. of <laughs> keep them alive for as long as possible has there has there ever been a book that you've picked up and thought wait why did I pick this up why did I start reading this and before you answer the reason that this question is included in the podcast is because a lot of authors have been put in awful positions where they lose their confidence because of the reviews that they get. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of authors who maybe stop writing because they get, I could not finish, or this was awful, don't buy. So this is a kind of a way for me to show reviewers that there's other ways of tackling books you don't like mm -hmm. and that you don't necessarily have to go on and bash that book or that author so so yeah so have you have you guys ever had that one book that you've just thought why did i start this yeah Liz, do you want to go first or, or? yeah i mean i'm not, I'm not sure i will say who but there's been a couple of bits that I picked up in, in our genre where I guess I found it to be action orientated at the expense of the world building. Yeah. And the world building seems to have a kind of nod, like a nod to world building. Rather than um, doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just sort of a bit of a affair of both of us where you get people kind of setting the novel in part of historical fiction or using super modern you know what's up kind of language when they're all supposed I to be hate that. <laughs> yeah because none of us say i mean honestly none of us say that do we like i mean i grew up in shetland where everybody said hey how are you doing right yeah because that was the only shetland slash english thing that they could say my husband ran up pure glaswegian said hey how you doing and because it sounded like a like an angry growl he cleared the entire street because <laughs> they so took it the wrong way so like for me if, if they're not using like language you know you're going to hear and tone like i i don't know if you've ever picked up on that like you can get these long bits of dialogue but there's no tone to it mm -hmm. so you're almost mm -hmm. guessing well what, what what's the tone here like are mm -hmm. you getting pissed are you getting flirty like you can't just rely on the words a lot of the time you've got to have a little nudge in there every so often mm -hmm. um that's that's just my my take on it what about you kate uh yeah i think um there was the only specific one that i really think actually that was time I won't get back was um was a Georgette Heyer book and I love Georgette Heyer normally I, I really like her romance her Regency romances they're like a fun yeah. read and you know they're well be they were well researched and, and for the period and stuff like that but I read one of her modern it was a modern murder mystery that I name of it I've forgotten now but every single character apart from the guy who actually turned out to be the murderer was horrible and I was like the only guy I liked in it was the guy who was the murderer and the rest of them I just thought I think it was meant to be one of these sort of 19 
I don't know, it was nineteen thirties. Everybody was terribly modern and you know angst ridden. Oh, yes. It was just yeah. like, oh gosh. Yeah. And I finished yeah. it. Because, you know, I'm going to finish the bloody thing, but I regretted <laughs> regretted it. Um, so, with, with you two being sci-fi fans, what did you think of Ursula? I can't pronounce your... Yeah. Ursula, yeah, I really loved the, uh, apart from the, I wasn't so keen on the final one, but the first three of the um, Earthsea trilogy, the Earthsea quartet books, I really liked. Um, yeah. I didn't particularly enjoy the last one, I have to say. Um, I, I did struggle with it, and I know this is going to sound funny. But when we were going between the worlds, I kept getting confused <laughs> to where I was supposed to be. Mm. And I think that's just because I'm not used to reading sci-fi. Um, but I did read um, the Melissa Marr series that she did, which was fairy tales, but done with sci-fi retellings. Oh, so it was it? like, oh, they're, they're actually incredible because, like, I'll, I'll use one as an example, like, um, they're all on different planets, but it's planets that we know. Mm. So it's it's a little bit, I think, easier for people that maybe haven't read sci-fi. Um, Rapunzel's character, for instance, instead of being locked in a tower, she's locked in a spaceship. So it's, it's like a completely unique twist on the whole mm. thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you guys would really love that. Yeah, because that's it's... Cool. It's sort of like a totally different take on mm. modernism um, in that. And it took me a little while to get used to it, but I, I got there in the end because I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> I was totally out of my comfort zone. So moving into writing, how did you kind of sit down together and go about creating the darker characters and the darker elements in your story. Did you need like a mood setting or, you know, what was your way of getting yourself into that sort of mindset? Um, and let it kind of unfurl to happen subconscious. You know, we've been quite, I like horror, and she's a real wuss when it comes to kind of watching. I'm a wuss too. Yeah, I can't really. Read really intense. I like I like horror comedies, and I watch a lot of yeah films and TV shows. And Catherine has a very low threshold for watching anything which is um, dark or disturbing, but she has a very high threshold for reading stuff which is dark and disturbing. Oh, um, okay, that's interesting been really interesting. When she was nine, she had a pen friend. Nine or ten, she had a pen friend. And they used, she used to write to each other about sort of horrible, all about the witch trials and witchcraft and all the different ways of killing a witch. And yeah. yeah. Or was it just witches? We used to write, we used to look up stuff about historical executions and, you know, I think it was Margaret Pohl who got chased around the scaffolding by the um, executioner, one of she was had executed by Henry VIII, I think. So yeah, well, we were quite into that kind of stuff, anyway. My friend and I. So, okay. I, I think we both love history, but Catherine particularly seems to have a good recall of all the gross historical stuff. And yeah, it helps wear her brain, which is you know some of the stuff that's been built as dark as a bit. I think that they go off the ship and they roll over all these people as part of this sort of 
we're actually going to roll over all these people all bound and gagged and we can kill this. Oh, well, that's historically people. accurate. To be fair, in accurate. my defence. Yeah. 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 She, she was just talking history, you know. Yeah, and Catherine, you, Catherine heard that on the podcast and incorporated it in the book. But I get very squeamish about some. I get very squeamish about putting stuff. Sit there and physically write it out. You know, pulling someone's heart out of their chest, like in our, in our first series, Richard Pitt, Richard Pitt. You know, pulling someone's heart out with a with a blunt knife, and I'm like, ooh, the cat really, she really gets into it. She, I think she kind of enjoys it. I, I would say. Well, I think it's also you want to have believable. You want the dark characters to be believable as well as the you know nice characters. And there was a bit in. Um, Crown of Talent, I think, which is the second book after Throne of Swans, where one of the villains um, murders somebody in front of a bunch of other people, and Lizzie was quite. And I thought it was the way he did it. I thought, and the sort of the, the publicness of it, and the um, display, I I thought was was completely in keeping with his character. He was that kind of person who. It was um, you didn't want me to put it in there, did you? You got to. Yeah, it grossed me out. I just didn't like it. And I found it disturbing. But, um... but it fitted with. I bet editing was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one was. So sometimes, if we really can't agree, we end up with whoever who has the, you know, is, is editing the book from the publisher. We're like, okay, you can you tell us which one of us is right? Because. We're arguing about it. ah, so it's like the editor's the final vote, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're like yeah. the referee. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could have done with that with me and Joe rather than us going at it for four or five hours. <laughs> just you know. Um. So yeah, I told I totally understand that. It is funny you say that because the the level of horror I can go to is Sabrina, the the remake of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um. That's my that's my level. I can't go any higher than that. But my husband, he... I mean, they watch things like Freddy Krueger series and the Halloween oh, series and Chucky. And I was like, nope. And it was so funny because I had a hobby where I made uh, reborn dolls for a while. And I had to give it up because my husband's like, I'm terrified one of these days that they're going to come to life. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, don't watch Chucky then, <laughs> you know." Like, but yeah, I gave it up. I think what killed it for him was he opened the the oven door, and I had they were cooling. The parts were cooling, <laughs> and there was just these legs and arms. And that was him done. He's like, "Nope, you need to find a different hobby." Um, so yeah, but it's funny because if I'm watching, I love my medical shows, which is insane because I I live in hospital pretty much um so yeah he can't understand how i can watch all that that medical stuff mm -hmm. and then go into hospital and i'm like because it's not the same mm -hmm. like what they do on tv is not what they do to you in real life no, like, no. so yeah I, I get the i get the squeamish part um but yeah for for me like i think the squeamiest thing i saw was the game of thrones yeah. I watched like first four episodes of that, and then that was me. I was, <laughs> I was, yeah. I, I was like, "Hubby, you go, you do it." You, you could, no, I'm done. Sorry. I, I couldn't keep going with that. I, I struggled with the particularly to be honest the sexual violence. 
Um, yeah, that was my my thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's what killed Outlander for me. Mm. I couldn't deal with the end of season one. I just couldn't. Uh, my mom loved it, um, but she had my father sit with the remote and the fast forward button. Right. And I was like, "You do realize you're missing large chunks of the show." She's, she just didn't care. So, um, so what inspired you both to enter the genres with your writing voice? What would you say made you say, "Okay, we're gonna do this together," but this is the genre that we have to to write in this time? Because I know every book's different. I think. Um, well, I think with the. I think we started off as this said we were we'd we'd always written separately since we were teenagers. Yeah. Um, and then um, around about the time Twilight came out, I think Lizzie started working because we've always loved fantasy. And I think the yeah. difference with the YA, the what the difference that YA fantasy really introduced, I think, was that sense of everything being very plot driven and pacey, which I always think is that I think is personally the main difference sometimes with adult fantasy compared with, you know, adult fantasy you can have long long scenes everybody sitting around. For, you know like hundreds of pages discussing whether they're going to go off on this mission and I don't feel like you get that um Actually, yeah. with with YA because it needs to be a bit pacey and I think there's there's a lot to be said for it being you know it's an excite more exciting read um I think yeah. that's why we originally start thought well we'll do YA because it's we wanted to write some kind something which was page turnery and with that coming of age kind of feeling to it as well you know people who are who are standing on the threshold of something and can make these choices about you know which way is my life going to go um because they're at the beginning of things rather than having already made a bunch of decisions and got themselves into a particular situation yes yeah i like i like that what about you liz what made you say this is a, this is a genre for me there was really just a thing around that time that you know you were reading a lot. You'd read Twilight and you'd read Starcross by was that by Josephine and Gideon Moon, um, and loved all that. And I think that idea of, of writing from the perspective of someone who's just about to start their journey. Um, you know, they've got their whole life ahead of them, and you know they're free to go off in any direction and I think that was really appealing and, and it, as Catherine said this sort of pacing on YA fantasy you know other fantasy genres as Kate said can be really quite slow and drawn out kind of the plot it. And, and it's, it's very exciting and I like all that high adrenaline stuff and then I'm a big Marvel fan and you know Star Wars and Star Trek and you know very plot based and kind of you know, you get to get to the action and yeah, not at the expense of the world building because I really love the world building. As mm -hmm. earlier, but um, I just think, I mean, it would just happened as well around that time that I I started thinking of a story in the back of my head, and I I started getting I think I was probably thirty forty thousand words for it, uh, maybe a bit more, and I got stumped and Kate started having a look at it, and then Kate joined me and started writing it, and we got to the end of it, and then. We sent off and we got quite a bit of interest, but not an agent. And then we decided to write something different, which is in the well, that's 
published. Yeah, one of the um, agents said to us, have you got anything else? And we didn't have anything else at that point. So then we wrote something else. And that was what yeah. turned into our first uh, published book. So how are you feeling, like, how do you balance the sort of working together? Because like, I know for me and Joe, him being in Germany and me being in the UK, I meant I had to get up really early so that I could do it all with him before he had to put the kids to school. Mm -hmm. And then I get a couple hours in the afternoon. So how do you guys work it out with, with each other? Do you have like a strict schedule or? Well, I have no schedule. <laughs> I work full time. I work, I'm, I'm a single parent. Um, my husband right. passed away a few years ago, so it's just me and the kids. And um, so I just kind of, I wing it. You can probably tell that sometimes I'm slightly less prepared than I should be. And I kind of, I kind of show up where Catherine tells me and she says, you need to be here. And um, she's kind of the brains behind making sure we're, we're super organized and everything. She's like, we've got a deadline here. We have to have them put in there. And, yeah. and I just kind of, I get prompted and, and, and pushed and you need to write this and you need to do that. He manages me. And I, and I <laughs> <laughs> well, Catherine, you and me are the same, okay? Because see, when it came to me and Joe, I was constantly like, "Joe, we got a deadline." Okay. Oh, have we? And I'd be, and then he would say to me like, "I don't think I read like nine chapters yet. Like, I'm yeah. like nine behind you." And I'm like, "Dude, nine chapters! Come on, just yeah, get it done." Like um, a very familiar conversation, doesn't it, Lizzie? I think, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when we've been to in the past as well, I mean, I get to the point where I just like want to move on to the next chapter. So I had this awful habit of putting cake to insert details. When I got to a bit which I thought this was boring, normally about descriptions of trees and stuff, which Catherine always loves. So, so I'd be like, cake to insert details, move on. Yeah, well, I like to get stuff yeah, like yeah, that. That's, that's walking through a forest, I want to know what kind of trees is in this forest. You know, what oh, kind of trees exactly. in, in this latitude, given, you know, this soil type and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's a tree. tree. Yeah, I mean, we had all that in the, in the Witch's case, and there were, there were bunnies, and I, whether there was bunnies in Anglo-Saxon England. And I was like, now we're going to get, it's not essential to the plot. And she was like, you need to check whether there were bunnies. Well, I care. I care. I want to get it right. <laughs> I, I, I'm the kind of person that would read something like that and be like, wait, did they have squirrels back then? It would just be something completely random. And then I would bug my husband with it because he's the, he's the history buff. And I'd be like, would there be like, and, and I would ask him a really dumb question. And then he would look at me and he'd be like, it's a book. <laughs> like that was the answer I always got but it, it's um, it's funny you were talking about YA and pacing when I kind of started to break out from Joe I did Carla and the entire idea of that was she was a book reviewer living her life best life with her friend and she ends up being made immortal and she falls in love with a guy that's 800 years old and he's never been in love before. And he's being manipulated by the Norse gods. So for me, I had three worlds I had to balance mm -hmm. all the time. And I must admit, if I didn't have the YA pacing, <laughs> I think I would have gret. Yes. Because 
yeah, three three worlds is, is is incredibly incredibly difficult. So I'm always impressed when people have that ability to have that constant world spinning, but also be aware of maybe other worlds that characters are going to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, I also you know with with Joe being a wrestler, me and him were one of the first people to do uh, romance sports romance, but with mm-hmm. wrestling. Um, and the whole basis of it was a guy had, you know, he, he was a wrestler, he married this woman, he had twins, and then he kept a secret of being a wrestler from them. And this leads to one of the twins taking her sister's diaries and publishing them to the world. Yeah. Blowing her sister's life up. <laughs> you know, um, in her, in her mind, she's going on a quest for answers. In the other twin's mind, she's like, I can't kill her because I'll get done. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I do here? Um, so yeah, Joe was very good at sort of not letting me murder Layla most of the time. Um, and then he kind of, he was like the father figure. And it was so weird because by us writing that series, he ended up telling his own kids that he was a wrestler. He mm-hmm. hadn't told them. And it was until we did the book that he was like, I don't want them to grow up and say, well, dad, why didn't you tell us you were a wrestler? Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of had a weird, um, what do you call it? Accidental learning to it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, think is a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, really but cool. yeah, I, th- I think books like that, we all walk away with something from a book, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, that's true. I think so what, characters teach you, don't they, half the time? You don't know exactly. I mean, yeah. we always plan, but we don't... The plan always changes, and you don't ever know exactly where it's going to yep. end up. I always say, plan characters laugh. Yes. <laughs> because that's... Because, like, you do. You, you start thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll kill them off in the first book. And then by, like, book four, they're still around, and you're like... Pretty sure it's planning to kill you, but one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I have those moments. I have that sympathy. When you're writing, is is it a movie kind of style for you guys, or do you work with the jigsaw puzzle of putting the pieces together to create the story? I would say a mixture, probably for me. So certainly, I feel like it's a jigsaw puzzle when I'm when we're working out. And I'm, um, what's going to happen when and where. Um, right. And I'm a big fan of those um, whiteboard things you can stick on, you know, the sheets, like yeah. the, the whiteboard you can stick on yeah. the wall. And I like doing like mind maps and who's, you know, of that kind of very visual representation of where, of the story, which is, I guess, kind of jigsawy thing. Um, but then when I'm writing the scene, I see it in my head like a yep. film. What about you, Liz? What's, what's uh, it like for you? Film. I mean, everything I see is a kind of... And I usually start off the end and work out where I'm going to go and how we're going to get there. And it's all kind of... It's all like a film in my head. And because I know I can laugh at it to laboriously plot everything and write out all the names of all the people and all the clans and all the you know different family members and to... To, to work out all the detail, I'm just like, yeah, you do that, and I'll just kind of <laughs> think a bit more. About I'll just, it. I'll just write it. Yeah. yeah, I'll think a bit more about how we're going to do this, and you 
anyway, Catherine's a very kind of detailed person. I mean, funny enough, I, I really love the editing and I'm a detailed person there. So if somebody's gone off yeah. in, you know, one colour, you know, dress and they come back in another colour dress, then I'm like, well, that's not the colour they went in. And, or, you know, they Yeah, you kind of, you keep it more in line. Yeah. yeah, so I really, I pay, I mean, I pay a lot of attention to, to, to the drafting and to, I, I really love the editing and, well, a famous uh, writer gave me an incredible tip, and I never thought about it till they told me this, so I'll share it with you, is having, now, I am showing the girls a very small pocket notebook, and in it's got pages for every single character, with bullet points on what their hair colour is, what their eye colour is, what height they are, the name of the dog that they had as a kid. That's the kind of stuff that they taught me. And they were like, when you go to a signing, have one of these bad boys with you. And then that way you never get an answer wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and it fits. And I thought, I thought that was an amazing tip. So ever since I have kept little books like this, just in case I have to remember something. Because I always, always forget the dog. (laughs) Yeah, that is off with the dog, and then I never finished with one. So yeah. I'm terrible with names. Actually, we did, we did a panel recently. We did a panel with Yao. I don't remember what half the characters are called. I just no, yeah, she was you know, useless. <laughs> what the book was called? I just like I was on a roll. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Faces, I remember everybody's face. If I met you once, I remember you forever. But I won't yeah. remember what you are called. I've got a real problem with names. I really should have a book so that I can write all those things down. All the, all the characters' names, so I remember them. Well, also, by the time you book's on, you can't remember, can you? So I'm like, I have, have to go back and flip through the book and like, well, because it's in the book, yeah. but I can't remember it by, by the time I've written two more books and, you know. Yeah, I was the same. Like, I would, I'd forget somebody's name and then I'd be like, ah, oh, damn, who is it? And if I had to go do the same thing, I had to look, back through it and it wasn't until that author had said to me why don't you just sit with a notebook in front of you that's got all the names and all the details in it and you fill it out as you go especially if you're if you're plotting it and then that way you've got the names you don't need to call somebody you don't need to like search the novel it's there you just flick through the notebook and I thought I thought they were being sarcastic to begin with and then I realized actually that was really good advice yeah yeah, that is good advice. I will pinch that. <laughs> so that's maybe something that might help you in going forward, if nothing else. Yeah. It, it did become very, very helpful when I was doing my uh, bachelor's writing exam. <laughs> so, yeah. So what are the, the rules do you guys have when it comes to splitting up the writing? Do you have, like... Do you pass it back and forth, or do you share a document? How how do you make that work? Um, so the cloud is really useful. So we uh, have everything. We were using Dropbox. We're now using OneDrive. Um, so everything is on a shared uh, shared drive. So we tend to have folders. Um, we'll have like background folder, and then we'll have a chapters folder, and each chapter is a separate. Word document. So, oh, okay. 
um, because my husband, who's into computers, wrote a sort of program where you can combine, it will combine all the Word documents into a single document for when we need to send it off to the editor, which is oh, useful. Oh, your husband is amazing. Yes. <laughs> can I steal that program too? Um, so, that's, so that's the way we do it. And in terms of splitting up, well, we kind of, we kind of, because we always plan, because we have to know where we're going. And we kind of be like, oh, well, you, I'll start doing this and you can start doing that. But then we write at different paces. And obviously Lizzie's also working full time and, you know, she's got, she's a single parent. Um, so she doesn't have as much time as I do. So I tend to get ahead. And then she'll be like, yeah, but you haven't edited it properly because people are going off to one place and coming back from another place altogether. And, you know, so, <laughs> so we kind of muddle she's, through She's the it. one that tidies up after you. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. we muddle through, don't we? I would say rather than... Yeah, and it's kind of... I don't know. We, we, I think Catherine... I mean, we both have particular things that we're good at to do that. And I like mm-hmm. all the funny stuff and I like dialogue. Catherine likes descriptions of trees and, and other things. Not just I like how she's throwing you under the bus for the trees. <laughs> Catherine likes killing people and I like saving them or bringing them back to life. And um, I like happy endings. Catherine likes to make people cry as much as possible. And also we do have a similar style in general terms because Obviously, we're siblings, and we grew up reading all the same books and being yeah. our parents. Obviously, um, provided the same influences to both of us in terms of music and what we used to watch on television, and you know, Jane Austen and Shakespeare, and listening to the Beatles and Maria Callas the weekend, and you know, watching Star Trek with our parents and all the books that we used to read and that our mum used to read to us. So we've got a, a similar voice, I think, because mm-hmm. we've read so much the same thing. Do you th- do you think the sibling bond helps? Yeah, definitely. Because we can't, you know, we don't really fall out. I mean, we argue about book stuff sometimes, and we have up, you know, but we don't ever really lose our temper with each other. And um, yeah. so I think that's helpful. I think. It, yeah, you, you, you obviously. Sometimes you get close, you get a bit coffee with each other, and you're like, fine. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in a way, you're not, because you wouldn't be scared if your, your sibling turned around and said, I'm not writing with you anymore. So there's almost like that, you've got that little bit of less pressure on you two. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, we can be aggressively sarcastic at each other, but it doesn't really matter, you know. Whereas I feel like if we didn't know, if we didn't know each other particularly well, I think. You know, writing is very personal, isn't it? And you write something and it's, you yeah. put yourself into it. And so it, having somebody else that you're meant to be working with saying, like, this bit is a bit rubbish and, you know, I don't think your character, the characters, it's, it can be quite, I could imagine it's that. It's hard. Yeah, if it's, and if it's, you didn't know, if it was somebody you didn't, you didn't know about, that would be, like, potentially, you know, the end of the partnership, yeah. I think, if you come out too much, but. Yeah, I mean, Joe and me, we're not related in any way. Um, And I think it wouldn't have worked between us if I hadn't been in wrestling first. So I I got trained to write wrestling. It was the first thing I ever learned. And 
you get eight minutes to tell a whole story. Right? So you've mm -hmm. got to think, how do I tell a story from the minute they walk out the curtain to the minute they come back? Mm. And that's hard. It is, it's a lot harder than people think because you've got to create 3D characters all the time. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't understood how wrestlers' minds work, I don't think I'd have ever worked with Joe. Mm -hmm. um, because wrestlers have their, you know, they're very alien to what the writing world's like. Mm. And I can almost see why there's that level of fighting that goes on backstage between writers and wrestlers. Whereas I would just walk into a room and say, right, this is the story. This is what you're doing. Don't moan about it. Stiff up or lip, think of Britain, and I'll see you later. <laughs> and for whatever reason, they would either, I would go out the door with them laughing or I would go out the door with them threatening to kill me. <laughs> it was always one of the two. But it taught me to have a thick skin. So it made, I think, easier for Joe because he was like, okay, I don't need to talk to Crystal like she's a girl. I can just talk to her like she's one of the boys. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that made it easier for us. And I think by having co-authors like yourselves on, it's kind of opening that door because there's not as many books nowadays with co-authors like mm -hmm. you do have authors that are maybe mother and daughter mm -hmm. or you have ones that are maybe twins but you don't necessarily have a lot of these um books coming out and i think it's good that having you guys on today a lot of the the newbie writers who maybe want to write with their best friend or yeah. write with their mm -hmm. husband yeah. It might give them that confidence to try it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, there's a lot of advantages. I mean, it can be very, as you know, it can, just, it can be very isolating being a writer. You're spending a lot of time in your own head and yes. on your own. And and and, it, and there can be lots of rejection. And, and having somebody else along for that is really helpful. Yeah. So for you guys, which characters stayed with you the longest? Which of your characters just has not left you alone yet? Um, that, that's easy for me. There's not one of the two books that we said we were going to talk about. <laughs> right, I mean, I really love Dana from the new book. But my, I really do love Dana, but I think I've got a real soft spot for Leo from The Witch's Kiss, who's the older brother of the witch. And I just... He, you know, I just—he was one of our first little babies, mm -hmm. our book babies. And yeah. he was our kind of dream fantasy older brother, and he came out as gay in the first book. And um, I've always loved him to pieces. Um, I wish we could get him in the new book. Actually. I wish we could find a way for him to travel back in time. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a hint. Can I just state? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure Edis would be on board with, with that, but um... it's funny, isn't it? Because he's like a side character; he's not one of the main characters. And I've mm. loved each and every one of our heroines, and we put a lot of perspectives yeah. into each of them. And I really love Dana because I figure, I think she's a bit something a bit different from our previous two heroines. Mm. Um, mm. For us, she's slightly darker and a bit edgier. Yeah, and, and she's very much the sort of person that you know we'd both like to say we were as fearless and dynamic as her but we probably would run away at the first time in danger but um i probably would as well 
I'd, I'd give it like a little bit of fight and then if it was majorly too big for me yeah i would run i shot something in the direction of the danger first <laughs> to run away um but yeah i mean i, I we, it's really funny about the new book because we're still in the process of birthing it so to speak because we're writing the sequel um yeah. so we're still in the place so i can't really comment on this book yet because i feel like we haven't quite not we're not finished yet. with it are we no we're not we're not no what i mean is i can't choose a character from this world because we're like midpoint yeah yeah we're, they're not done yet they're not developed i can't look back on them and say oh you know that was their victory that was their low point look at what they did because we're still they're still evolving they're still we're still very much in that process if that makes sense but if i look at out the two you did four i love bonus ones i love adarin i love um aaron but I don't know, Leo is just, he's my little book baby. Quite a few that's got your heartstrings tied up then. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Kate? Is there anybody that's that's clinging on with their fingers? I would say Aaron from um, Throne of Swans and the Clan of Talons. So he is um, Adet's brother. Um, and he can't, can't, he gets cut out of the succession because he's lost an arm. He can't transform anymore. Right. He can't fly. Yeah. Um, so he's considered to be useless, you know, um, and he proves to be utterly not useless and completely brilliant, in fact. And I really would, but I think partly because he is a, a side character, I'd love to write something from his perspective. Because um, I feel like he would be, you know, I'd love to give him a bit more space, a bit more of the, of the, of the limelight. I think he deserves more of the limelight. So, yeah, Aaron would be my choice for that one. So, so you're going to hate the next question, but which character out of all the ones you've written would you like to write more about? Oh, well, that one, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Aaron, can I say if I can say the same answer? I think, I think I, I'd love yeah. to see his story. I'd like to write something about how he to look to, like as a pre prequel almost so how he got yeah. from what happened to his, you know, his injury and how he ends up as a because he changes quite radically over the two books um yeah. yeah i think it's the same for me because i think with our heroines um by the end of the book they've come full story and we're pretty happy with the story and where they've ended mm -hmm. up yeah um, but with these characters these are characters where you kind of you just think they deserve their own story, mm. not just as a secondary character. So, is there a series in a genre, any genre, that you would actually like to write? Is there any genre that you think oh, I really want to do a series in that? I'd like to do science fiction. Okay. I'd like to do YA science fiction. I don't think YA science fiction. It's it's not got a lot of stuff in it to be honest. No, not got a lot at all. Um, and I, kind of I think I think it would be nice to kind of encourage the next generation to want to watch some Star Treks and want to to kind of get into that world a bit more because if we look at how the world's going, it is a very space driven mm. target, I suppose, for for mm. a lot of us. So sci-fi might just be the answer for a lot of inventors and a lot of the scientists. 
Yeah, um, okay. The nice thing about science fiction is it's very aspirational. Um, yeah. Trying to look at I'll, science fiction. I know, it, I know it made me write one, um, which is sitting on my shelf needing to be gone through again but for me that was that was the reason I did it I wanted you know listening to what was going on in the NHS during COVID and stuff and actually being in the hospital while COVID was on the go um they have a a hellish shortage of lab techs which you wouldn't think lab techs but uh yeah lab techs is you know they've got a large burnout rate um and they're, you know, they're not keeping them. So, yeah, for me, it was kind of like, well, what could I come up with a story that might make them want to, to do that? So, yeah. yeah. What about you, Kate? I would probably go for something historical. I think I'd like to write something in the 19th century because I think there's just so much interesting stuff to cover. You know, either whether it's like something set in towards the end of the 19th century, the sort of the Oscar Wilde type period, or um, yeah or something earlier so yeah i've always been really drawn to historical fiction um but I, so I've got I either. I'm, I'm kind of scared to do it justice i think that's that's where my pitfall for me is i think i is do for me would be not ever finishing it because i get so into the research that i'd end up just <laughs> i never emerge from the I'm the same. Like, my husband will come home and be like, what have you done today? And I've got, like, paper, like, above my head. I was like, oh, I was researching this book. And he's like, did you finish the other one? Yeah. (laughs) I fell in a rabbit hole. Yes. (laughs) What about standalone? Is there a genre that you'd like to do maybe just a a one-off standalone in? Standalone. Um, I would like to write a vampire book. At one point, at some point, oh. I think. Yeah. Could this be a Lizzie and Kate vampire book? Yeah. Hey, there we go. Yeah. 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 I know more about vampires than Catherine, so she's going to have to come to me for research. <laughs> I was actually thinking that in my head. I was like, I wonder if Kate's going to have to like call her a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So, with you being a, a vampire fan, what's your take on the Thorn, the Court of Thorns and Roses series that Sarah J. Mass did? Because that's sort of like fairy tale pixie meets vampire. Yeah, I think I got through up to the first one, but I got that halfway through it. I mean, I really liked. Um, um, God, what's the other one that you and I both? Oh, it's um, the assassin one, the throne of glass. Yeah. Throne of oh, glass. yeah, throne of glass. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I devoured that, but I didn't devour Court of Stones and Roses. Yeah, I did it not in the same way. And I don't, I didn't. It was a bit of a leap, I must admit, from yeah. Styles. I didn't like the, the, the sort of technical. The male protagonist. Yeah, I, I, I struggled with him with the first book, um, but he gets better in books two and on, because she really does have to come into her own, I think. Um, but however, I am terrified to read the last of the, th- the Throne of Glass series, 
um, simply because you know that gut feeling where you're like, oh, I don't really want to know how this ends because I quite like the idea of the characters yes. yeah, winning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I know I have to read it. But yeah, like I, I can almost see you doing a fancy, you know, vampire court style series. Yeah, uh, I think it's a kind of more like more like gothic horror, you know. Yeah, I think a gothic horror would be would be quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Spe especially if you guys could put like the voodoo in there as well. Yeah, no, we quite. I, I think we quite like supernatural. So what techniques have you guys found most helpful? And what was the least helpful techniques you've ever used in your writing? Uh, I, well, it's not really a technique as such, but I did try being a pantser for one afternoon. You know, that idea where you just sit down and just start yeah. writing. And it literally brought me out in a rash. I mean, I feel upset. I, I couldn't do it. I was so stressed. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So, so I don't do that. So I would say don't do that. Plan, 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 plan. At least it's ha at least what have they... something to work from. You know, I think that's the yeah. Hmm. So, so for you, planning is like the most helpful for you then. Yeah. Yeah, I think because we don't ever stick to it. It always, but it's this. It's a leaping off point, and it it makes us feel. It's a framework, I guess. It's a sense of where we where we go, you know, what signposts to the journey. Yeah, we have to be yeah. heading in the same general direction. It can't be that one of us is, you know, gone off to Scotland and the other one's, you know, down in Devon. We just need to be in the same heading off in the same direction, even if we deviate along the way. Yeah. I I must admit I tried pants in one afternoon and I I, I ended up crying. <laughs> I bet it wasn't just me. You know, and and uh, so my husband's kind of gotten used to me having notebooks that kind of just travel with me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll sit up in the middle of the night and I'll go, oh, "Got an idea!" And he does like the whole soccer mum seat belt belt thing, where she he just sticks his arm out and shoves me back down and says, "Sleep." <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, but I, I couldn't I I could not plan. Um, but I get quite a few authors on here that, that just say they might have a rough outline and they go with that. Mm -hmm. Um but I get writer's block because I have to I have to put it down on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um if I could just sit and write and I didn't have to think, Oh, I've got doctors or hospitals or whatever it is I think that would be much easier for me. But yeah, if I didn't have the bullet points, I would, I would never finish anything. Yeah, I keep I... losing that that zone. Yeah. yeah. No. It's well, when... we're into the life portion of the podcast, and this is where we learn about you. So we learn a little bit about Kate, and we're going to learn a little bit about Liz and how, how your lives are outside of this crazy writers writers world. So what's the first thing that the two of you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? Um, probably put the telly on, actually, I think, which doesn't sound very, like, cultural and, you know, writerly, but if I'm, like, when I, we had a deadline at the end of September, and so if I was having a break and, like, a cup of tea, I used to go downstairs and watch an episode of either Shit's Creek or Lower Decks, Star Trek oh, okay. Lower Decks, 
So it's only about 20 minutes. Um, so something completely Well, it's, it's good because it's like a reward system almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Liz? Well, how do you de-stress from life and writing? And... Um, I really like to go out, actually, get a walk. I mean, I work from home, so I work renting within an hour. So um, when I get a chance, I'll start to leave the house and just... I love walking around. I love walking around and I love sort of walking past other people's houses and having a look here and as I walk past and seeing what everybody's doing. <laughs> and I do that too. Or, or go on right move and look at all the pretty houses. I'm like, mm. yeah. But just like just seeing all these different families and getting these tiny glimpses of their lives as we go past. And I just love walking around and I love, you know, I live near the river, so I like looking at going and, you know, watching the sunset and. Just getting that sort of air and space and not looking yeah. at the yeah. That's I, I like a very writer thing to do. Mm. It really is because it's that curiosity in us. Because, you know, if we don't experience life and we're not gaining, you know, this these memories and this knowledge, then we can't transmit that into our own work. So it's almost like a natural thing, I think, for all writers. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. But I mean that—that's what I've learned on the po on the podcast is that mm. the ones that do go for the walks is is collecting data almost to yeah, use. People watch in, it. In that's what I like to do. And if I could, yeah. I'd have a little magic key so I can wander into body, everybody's houses in the middle of the night, just just very you know benevolently peer around and rifle <laughs> through their papers. <laughs> I could I could see a really good book there actually I think I think you and Kate could come up with something pretty awesome. It could be the, the was it the housekeeper, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. no one can see them if they've got yeah. the magic key or something. Yeah. So what hobbies do you enjoy, and are there ones that you wish you could explore more of? So I really like uh, music, so I play. Very badly, I play piano, harp, cello, and flute. Um, and I'm a bit obsessed with musical instruments. I always want to know how they work. And so, if I had a lot of time and lots and lots and lots of money, I would just like buy all the instruments and have obviously all the space to keep them and just like mess around with them. So, <laughs> I think that would be fun. What about you, I like kitchen videos. I'm a big fan of. Standing in my kitchen and pretending I'm Adele and I'm at Wembley Stadium and just either having a bit of a dance around or belting out a song and pretending I am in front of you know two million people, letting them enjoy the sound of my voice. Yeah. So I really find I love music. I love dancing. Um, yeah. I really just find that's a real kind of way to get a kind of high. Yeah. Dance is great. I do um, adult ballet classes once a week, which I love. It's yeah, funny. it's it's lovely. I I kind of hate that I had to retire because I did I taught street hip hop dancing in a in a place where hip hop didn't exist. Um, so yeah, it took me a lot long time to kind of change people's minds on it. But yeah, um, and funnily enough, because I had to retire from dance, dance became the core part of Marie's world of of the story mm -hmm. of the twins. Um, you know, and it, 
I think one one being a good dancer and one not being a good dancer and how that tears that relationship I think um, I like the social elements of it but yeah, I do think yeah. our hobbies influence our writing yeah sure sure yeah I love so what I... YouTube oh sorry continue on oh, I was just going to say what for, for me the dance dancing because I have to concentrate on it because I'm not you know naturally haven't like, had years of training I just find it something which yeah. is completely takes takes me out of everything that I've been stressed about in the day so it's just really brilliant for your mind as well as your body I think it's funny you say that because I have a I wish I could come up with a better analogy but I don't but for me I think it's like you're cleaning the pipes you know the creative mm. pipes mm. and you're making that ready for the next session when you sit down and you really get into it Mm. and I think that could you know for me like I had to go and find something that allowed me to just clear the deck so that I could start start afresh for me it was craft so I did cross stitch embroidery um, and all those kind of things I could never knit but my grandmother was a professional knitter so I think that's kind of where, where mine came from mm. if you were sitting still um, you had you couldn't have idle hands that was the rule in my my house because apparently idle hands cause trouble so a lot of puzzles and also coloring i mean the proper adult coloring where you've got really kind of intricate yeah. designs and you know you spend quite a lot of time coloring in and i like art drawing i like lego it's actually proven to be really good for your stress levels yes yeah, no, I love anything creative like that. I mean, I, I, I've never, Kathy's always been a lot more focused on, on than, I, than I am. So when she wants to learn something, she kind of just generally goes off and learns it. And, you know, learn, <laughs> and learn how to play this. And I, I kind of dabble a lot more. I dabble a bit here, dabble a bit there. It's good though because you're, you're, you're getting to try all these different things and it gives you different experiences you can draw on later. Mm -hmm. What about you, Kate? I like Lego, so that's my been my thing since the last couple of years. So my husband buys me these big Lego kits, and I very slowly put them together. So I made a typewriter this year. Um, it's, oh, it does, wow. you know, these move. Um, you can't actually type on it, but it looks like, like an old-fashioned typewriter. So I'm hoping I will get more Lego for Christmas. Um, and I like to, yeah. I learned how to, did, I did some drawing lessons on, online during lockdown, so I like to sketch, but I can only copy stuff, you know, I can't, I don't have the visual imagination to create a picture from, from my head, but I can copy stuff reasonably well now in pencil, so um, I like doing that. I'm not yeah, so I, I can see it, I can see it, but I can't draw it, so I have the opposite issue. I used to, um... I used to envy my brother for that because he was an amazing drawer, but he would get bored and he would stick faces and things that shouldn't have faces. <laughs> like you know how in art school everyone had to draw the bowl of fruit. Yeah, yeah. Well, his all had these hidden faces with facial expressions and mustaches and. Oh, cool. So yeah, but unfortunately, uh, they didn't want that for the exam. So <laughs> my mother had to stand over him with a rubber and just 
<laughs> take them out when he wasn't looking. Um, but I, I just never had that kind of skill. My, my kind of, I'd have loved to have taken a lot of the imagery that I had, um, particularly for like Carlo's, you know, story, and I've been able to put it into pictures because I think that would have been awesome. So I admire anyone that can draw, that can color, that can do any of that because I just, yeah, not, <laughs> I'm not that talented. So I think it, and it's an amazing skill. It's a, yeah. Incredible. I would like so to I myself... avoid doing things. Oh. I think I th I'd like to be able to avoid and do the stuff that you do, though. But I'm I'm not very good at all of that kind of. It took it. Took, well, I started when I was eight. Because my my grandmother got frustrated with me, um, and also she didn't trust me with knit, knit needles. So <laughs> <laughs> knit needles got taken away, and then she gave me a a, a needle, and she thought that was safer. <laughs> Don't think she really thought that one through. No, I would have said the other way around for sure. But yeah, so um, yeah, I did a lot of embroidery. In fact, uh, give you a sneak peek. That's one of the baby ones that I'm doing oh, right oh, now. Beautiful, gorgeous. And I cheat because I get the the print version where all the little X's are actually printed. Oh, uh, I see. That's clever. So I can I have like an outline of where everything goes and then yeah. I just read a chart. However, mm -hmm. that works well until I have to tell the difference between shades of colors and then I get stuck. Okay. And then it's like I go to my husband because I can't tell shades very well, but he's colorblind, so he can actually see the shades. So I'll be like, okay, I have these colors, but you need to put down what the shades, what shades is which. <laughs> So yeah, um, it's a team effort. But yeah, I, I've made quilts and blankets for the family over the years and things like that. And that that's my way of, uh, when I've got really bad writer's block, I'll take out a massive sewing project that mm -hmm. I haven't touched in like six months. And my husband will be like, oh, are you having a bad time of it? <laughs> Should I, you know, and then he, he'll ask me things like, have you taken the scissors out of the bed? You haven't left any needles in the bed, have you? Because <laughs> when we first got together, I actually left two sets of knitting needles, a pair of scissors, and three sewing needles in the oh, bed. Oh, yeah. That could have been... And he never, he never managed to stab himself. So I but yeah, he's been nervous ever since then. Uh, and we've been together 14, 15 years, so... So I myself have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you slow down and smell the roses? What's your one thing that you do um, just to enjoy and appreciate the moment? Um, I always have a first thing in the morning and I try and sit in, in my garden because um, I find that I just like being in the nature and and yeah, yeah, yeah that makes me slow down and also just spending time with my family so um i was running around this afternoon as i was trying to work and trying to do about 100 other things and then i've got this little we've got this little baby cousin who's only a year old and she's over from the u.s yeah. at the moment so i went over and spent a couple of hours with her and it was just like bliss because she's gorgeous and you know and I was like, yeah, actually, just this is fine. I don't need to worry about any of that other stuff. It will get done when it gets done. I'm going to 
enjoy my baby cousin. And that, and that's so important. Like yeah. I think for me, like I understood enjoying it when I was because I've had this for such a long time. So I've almost never not had life with without the the illness. Um, mm. But what really makes me appreciate it is is those moments of you know connecting with somebody like yeah. I, I found a fa I, I found a reader of mine in Glasgow in a hospital once and she, I couldn't understand why she was being so sheepish around me and it was simply that it was the, you know she was a big fan mm -hmm. and it took her two days to actually kind of have that nerve to to talk to me um you know because she was she just was starstruck yeah and then after that it was it was amazing she had such a good time just talking and the impact I had on her it made all that pain of riding in the hospital and trying to hide my story from very nosy nurses <laughs> all the more all the worth it um it you know it, it's good I always try and find the victories in things because I know I have a lot of awful habits but I, I try and find the victories as well things so yeah I think, I think we all need to do that now especially yeah. with covid and things yeah. so when you have time because i know you're super busy where's your favorite place to curl up during the day is do you have like a garden you like to go to a cafe a reader's nook where do you like to go to just read yes jonah uh, i have a recliner in the living room I've ever had it, it's a <laughs> and the kids are always on it, sort of playing some device or watching TV or going and going around. And it's the, it's out, so our living room is basically the kids' space. Um, uh. So when the kids aren't there, occasionally I'll get to go and sit up there and recline and look out the window um, and sort of sit with the cats and read a book. Enjoy quiet time. Yeah, and it's it's all it's just organised. It's organised chaos here most of the time because we're a neuro neurodivergent family as well. So yeah. we are. Someone's always hanging off the ceiling. Um, so it's just it's 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 chaos it, most of the time. But we kind of we just learn to swim, like Dory, yeah. and yeah. lots of Dory and what the other fish called. Nemo. I wondered where she was going with that there for a minute, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so not not kind of it's just um you know when I can get time to sort of have that downtime and we haven't had a lot of time to read recently because with our efforts going into writing book two. Yeah. What about you, Kate? Do you have a, a secret place you like to go? Well, not a secret particular. When I, if I've got longer in the afternoon, I, there's um, we're not far from Painshill um, Gardens, which they're used in Bridgerton actually. So lots of people oh, are probably wow. familiar with it. Like I, I'm a drive down there and, and have a wonder. But if I'm reading, I just like to sit in um, sit in my sofa, where I can have a view of my garden and with the cats somewhere nearby because they can lie on top of me and keep me warm. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you find having Bridgerton back? 
was it was it chaos around you or uh they vanished they it's not it's about 10 minutes down the road from us so they did shut the gardens some of the time um last month i think they had it closed but it's mostly i, I think they must be filming like when it's not open um because it hasn't been like super disruptive yeah. or anything but, um it's fun oh, to see okay. it on screen I, oh i've been there <laughs> i i know from from when i stayed up in shetland and they were filming shetland the tv series um it was a nightmare because Shetland doesn't have many roads to go many places, so if they were filming in a main area, it was a nightmare. You, mm. you just had to wait till the scene was finished. Like, the banks that's in the show are real banks. You know, my dad, uh, his funniest story was, he was walking into the bank and I called him. Just as he was going in and they were like, cut! <laughs> so my dad got rollicked by, uh, some of the director's assistants for uh, disturbing a scene. So, yeah, I admire anybody that can uh, put up with a, a constant film set presence. Um, at least here, when in sort of Sterling area, they they have like they've built sections for them to go, mm -hmm. so you're not having the roads blocked as much. Um, yeah, so I admire anyone. Well, we've made it to the word game, which is almost the end of the show. So uh, this is the challenge. This is when we try and uh, connect a word to a book. So this should be some fun. Now, when I looked you guys up, I imagined, well, where would I meet you guys in an ideal author world where we all go to, to conferences and stuff? And I kind of just imagined us getting sucked into this fairy tale court and uh, we end up bumping into each other and that's that's where the word list came from. Cool. Sounds good. So, I would be at a fairy tale court visit. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it sounds nice, you know, has, it, has somebody's done your hair and yeah. tied you into a really beautiful dress. Hopefully you, you're not like me and fall over the hem. <laughs> I, I will definitely be falling over it. I fall over everything all the time. So I'm I, ne I nearly fell over my wedding dress, honestly. Like, Lizzie trying had to get down the aisle without falling on my face. It was actually a feat and a half. Yeah, Liz Lizzie's job was, was to stop me falling over, wasn't it? You had yeah. to, like... <laughs> it was funny because my dad just sort of, like, held me up like that. <laughs> so, if you actually look at my wedding photos, I'm sort of at a weird angle going down the aisle. <laughs> Because he was convinced that I would faint or something. Weird, weird, weird and wonderful things our parents think. So your first word is rattling windows. So what do you think of when you hear rattling windows? A book. Um, yep. I... Could be any book. Oh, Rebecca. Rebecca. Oh, Last okay. night I jumped, I went to Mandalay again. That's the opening, isn't it? Because you know, it's very... Gothic. What about you, Liz? I would say um, The Dark of Rising, um, which is the second book of The Dark of Rising series, and the Will's in the cusp of discovering that he's in fact one of the old ones, this sort of ancient race, and he looks, you know, wakes up on Christmas morning, and he's looking out the window, and all the rest of the family sort of held in suspended anima animation, and no one else is sort of a, awake or alive, and the window's uh -huh. are yeah, that's my husband's fa favorite series recently. So, 
um, I'm waiting for it to give him the next one, and I was hoping it would be out before Christmas, but it's not looking like it's going to be. What about tapes snapping in the wind? Well, like, um... I'm thinking of a measuring tape, but that doesn't seem like the right kind of tape. No, like, you you know the, the beautiful tape you would get for the Mayday poles? Like, some people would use tape, some people would use ribbon. Oh, uh, okay. So I can imagine yeah, yeah. one of those. Ooh, um... Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's lots of... She, she got that one in before you. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to play with um, Vanity Fair, I guess, because it's making me think of a fair. Oh, okay. Yeah, I came up with the uh, Priory of the Orange Tree. Oh, yeah, no, because I Because there's a, they do actually do the May Day poll yeah. in, the, in the book. I don't know why, that one just sprung to mind. It was not in my head before, so. What about Rushing Water? Uh, rushing water. Um... See, that instantly makes me want to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think anybody who, who sort of uh, can't sit next to a running fountain can understand that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking Wind in the Willows. Oh, that's a good book. Um, what about you, Liz? Maybe uh, sort of that type. Well, I was thinking of Zone of Glass series. There's a book in it, and I can't remember which one it is now. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think it's like the second last one, and the, there's a huge scene in there with a waterfall um, mm -hmm. that got more romantic than I thought it was going to. <laughs> Tolling bells or bells ringing? Oh, I've got one for this. Um, Neverwhere. Because oh, bells, okay. I'm thinking oranges and lemons. Bells of St. Clemens, which is obviously London, which is Neverwhere. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Liz? You know the one with the ring and ring and roses, top of the when they all fall down. The oh god, what the called? That was not great. I can't read. Oh, the bells of Astrocot. You're thinking yeah. bells of Astrocot. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's Alan Garner, right? Yeah, got bells in it. Yeah, yep. that that was a good one. I yeah. think. I was thinking of the fourth Forsyth series. Oh yeah, I haven't read that for a long time. That one's quite brutal um, for you know because that one covers domestic abuse, but mm -hmm. the story itself is is really awesome. Um, I watched the. I watched. If you've seen the the TV series Billions, it's the actor from that was in it. And I quite like him, so I ended up mm. watching Forsyth for that. But he's on Britbox, actually, funny enough, thinking about it. What about Racing Hearts? For some reason, and I don't exactly know why, I'm thinking of the third book of the Shadowhunter series, the one where she ends up um, destroying 
Valentine. Valentine, yeah. Oh, I know the one you're on about. The City of something. City of Bones? I thought that was the second one, but I can't, I could be wrong. Whichever the third one is, anyway, before it all goes. We all, we all know what you're talking yes. about. Yeah. <laughs> that what one. about you, Liz? I'd probably say Goddess. Uh, Starcrossed. Starcrossed. Oh, Starcrossed. Okay. I, I was thinking of um, Shiver Me, which is a dystopian sci-fi. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Done by, and this is when I will butcher her name. I'm so sorry. Taya, Taria Maji? Yeah. Maji? Yeah. yeah. I was as close as I could get it. <laughs> what about Shivers? Shivers, Shivers. Dracula. Dracula. Oh, you got in that, the, the vampire one in first. <laughs> yeah, no, I just remember be- reading it and I wasn't expecting to find it scary at all because I thought, Heh, it's it's like, you know, a hundred and something years years old it can't be that scary but actually i thought it was really scary so what's my um book that i think it's called what's rainbow row what's the one i really like carry on yes carry on yeah well for me i was thinking of young elites by marie marie lou uh-huh that one's quite good and i think it's quite a kind of very different fantasy and i was mm-hmm. not expecting that kind of darkness from a from a Disney novel mm. so yeah that one caught me by surprise actually um so last or oh, no second last one is cold 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 um Frankenstein I'm gonna go for because okay it opens and closes, I think, if I'm right, in that waste, kind of snowy waste. I think up in the Arctic or somewhere, isn't he? The, the monster's hunting him across the snow. That would be uh, that would be a very good cold weather list, wouldn't it? Yeah. What about you, Liz? Um, the French restaurant scene, I'm going to say. It's just a scene in it um, where I think the main character drinks wine and she drinks wine and the male character just throws up and you know he's shivering and very sick and she looks after after him and I don't know why I don't know what you think of that. Well for me I was thinking The Dwelling Place by Catherine Cookson because um, the girl is actually living in a cave that's just off the moors and I thought that's got to be cold. There's oh yeah. yeah. There's no way that's warm, especially like since they talk about you know, threadbare clothes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Last, last one: pins and needles. Pins and needles. Pins and needles. Yeah, the Iron King. Yeah, the Iron King. That's a good one. Scene where um, he's kind of. Well, I had Hunting Dracula by um, Katie. Oh, I know the one you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I get the I get the first bit, and then I'm like blank. Oh, that's so annoying. But I like that because it it wasn't it wasn't another Dracula story. It mm-hmm. was such a different take on it. 
I was going to go for um, Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. I have to try that one, and I've oh. been on the fence about that, but my aunt's a big Leanne Moriarty fan, so I'm going to have to The only one I've heard I've read, it was recommended to me um, by a friend, and actually it it was very, very, very page turny, and I was like, like uh, there were a whole lot of people I really liked, and I was like, please don't let it be one of these, because you know somebody ends up dead right at the beginning. And yeah. you're like, oh, so all the way through, I was like, please don't let it be that person, please don't let it be that person. So when it finally was, the big reveal came, it was a huge relief. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it funny, because when I first started reading, um, everyone knows the TV series Vampire Diaries, mm-hmm. but I actually read the original novels it was based off of, that is not what oh, yeah. you would expect. They are no, I completely. I didn't know it. What? So what? What are they based off of them? Well, you start off with with. Yeah, it's it is a series. Um. It was supposed to be a vampire series. But Elena dies in the first book. Huh. And then it you go into different worlds and there's different magic and different things that happens. And a lot of what happens in the TV series is not tied to the books. Okay, I didn't know that. And what I didn't know till uh, I actually had a conversation with LJ Smith before I ever did the podcast and she was telling me that uh, her vision for the series was not the network's vision. Mm. And that's why they went their separate they went their separate ways. They kept running the series and she just Mm. wrote the books as she saw it mm. um so yeah but no the books were incredible though incredible world building i mean she had like four or five worlds she was balancing in one go mm. Amazing. Uh, her mind's incredible um there's a lot of magic in it as well a lot a lot of magic in it mm. which i find mm. interesting so that's the end of the show folks we have survived we've had i yeah. hope we've had some fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm going to have to have you guys back when you've got your next release out hopefully um, yeah and what we'll do is next time now the audience knows who you are and knows who you are as people we can actually have a much more in-depth conversation about books and obviously about about your work and uh, where you're taking it and things like that so, yeah you guys will have to come back it's an open invitation you just email me and I'll get you in. Uh, yeah, and I definitely will be spotlighting you. So as soon as I finish reading your stuff, you'll be in the spotlight. Um, oh, because I, I actually adore the concepts of what you're trying to do. So Thank you. Um, Thank and you. also my husband goes, you're such a freaking softie for mythology. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's very true. It's awfully true, actually. So, yeah, but, yeah, it's been good. wonderful to have you. And thank you so and, much for inviting uh, us. It's been brilliant. It yeah, was very... Great questions. Thank you. Right. Yeah, really yeah good. it's good to have some fun sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So next week, you guys will have a very interesting guest. And I can't say too much because it will give it away. So you'll need to check back next week. 